Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45, 50. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. SEC stays king, the death of Pac-12 playoff hopes, and more from a glorious week one of college football, all right here on the week one recap of the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmies and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason with Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney. Gentlemen, we are coming off of something like 48 straight hours of college football content, It was a fantastic week one. It's technically not over as we're recording this. LSU and Florida State are getting ready to kick off in about an hour's time. Clemson, Georgia Tech will play on uh, Labor Day as well. So we will make sure to hit both of those game recaps on the midweek episode. But we wanted to make sure we stuck to our weekly schedule. Plus, guys, we had so much to talk about from what felt like just a Maybe the most chaotic week one I've seen. Maybe that's anecdotal. How did how did you guys partake in the festivities this week? It wasn't always pretty, but this was the best week one I can remember in a long time. Like maybe going back to that crazy 2007 year where we had the App State Michigan upset on week one. I don't know. I, maybe I'm just misremembering the last few years, but. Just the number of games that came down to the wire, the games that were predicted to be blowouts but were actually close, it was awesome. And I just enjoyed taking it all in from 11 a.m. till well after I should have been in bed last night. (laughs) No, same here. Yeah, that was just a really confusing week one. Like, really good, but I think a lot of confusing results, both in how close certain games were and also how much certain games just got way out of hand way faster than anyone expected them to. Uh, and I'm excited to break this down because there's a lot to talk about. We do have a lot to talk about. Uh, among them, the fact that Garrett and I might have lost one of our playoff picks last night. Probably lost one of our <sighs> Still playoff sad. picks last night. Mitch Trey almost was, lost two in I one did. day. <laughs> I did. That which, goodness, that would have been an inordinate amount of crow to be eating here after week one. But we'll get to all of that. Of course, the housekeeping if you are not already following us on our social media at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter, please head over and do so. We picked up a number of new followers to the 3Tech family over the weekend, had a Twitter space. It was a grand old time, and I just really got to enjoy watching and commenting on all the craziness from coast to coast, from 11 a.m. to, like Trey said, well into the night uh, with you guys. And so if you would like to be a part of that, please head over and follow us. Also, if you are brand new to this podcast, if as we have a wave of new followers discovering us at the start of college football season. First of all, welcome. 
Uh, we're glad to have you here. If you have not already subscribed on Apple, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, please hit that subscribe button. It certainly helps us. And leave us a rating. Whatever you think is fair, we obviously would love for a five-star rating to be your choice. But uh, whatever you think is fair, that helps us grow the show. It helps us continue to get feedback from listeners like you, and we certainly appreciate it. But without any further ado, Trey, you've got that breaking news sound queued up. We have got a massive nugget to lead off this show with. College football powers that be decided to drop a news bomb right before week one. That news bomb being that the playoffs are expanding to 12 teams by 2026. And of course, you know, we're, we're about to get into it. I, I don't want to have a full dialogue here because we could talk for two hours on this topic alone. But I will say the naysayers, the anti-expansionists immediately blamed the college football powers for kind of burying this in the chaos of week one. I will say I kind of agree that the timing could not have been worse here, but for us, and I think, you know, Trey, you and I are very much aligned, so I'm pretty much going to let you speak for both of us here. I I think this is a a good step for college football. Uh, There's certainly a negative side to it. We can discuss that maybe at a later date, but I'd love your thoughts here. Uh, both of you guys on this subject. Are we for it? Are we against it? Where where do we come in here? I'm all for it. I want more access to the big dance. What The way that we crown a champion in college football has always just struck me as kind of anticlimactic, especially in this four-team playoff era where we have, I think, a lot of good teams that just kind of get left out. You, you can talk about your 2020 Texas A&M. You can talk about your um Baylor maybe from last year that came on really strong at the end of the year and probably deserved a shot maybe even more so than Cincinnati when you look at the schedule that they played so I'm for it I know there's a lot of arguments against it I think some of those arguments have merit but if you're arguing against it using the fact that now Alabama and Ohio State just get a mulligan okay they already basically get a mulligan if Ohio State would have lost to Notre Dame on Saturday night gone back and won the Big Ten, they're still getting in the four-team playoff. So nothing's really changing from the standpoint of the top powers still have access to the playoff, but now they have to go through a tougher road in that playoff. They might, If they lose a couple games, they might have to go to a Kyle Field or to a Big House or to um, a Rice-Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City in December and face a raucous crowd that's getting a host a playoff game for the first time. That's not easy. Mm-hmm. And then they would have earned that spot in the national championship game rather than just getting placed there by default. So I'm all for it. Like you said, we could talk about this for a couple hours and have a show just on this, but long story short, this is a good thing for college football in my mind. Yeah. And we almost did record an emergency one on this one, but I mean, look, don't overthink the gut reaction. This is a good thing for college football. Everyone likes to talk about how, you know, the college football season is so important because of the regular season, each game matters and all of that. And that how somehow this is going to take away from the importance of that. I think the regular season has its merits for a lot of different reasons, but for all it's worth, the postseason for college football has sucked for as long as I've been watching it. There's just Mm -hmm. nothing to watch. You get a couple teams towards the end that matter and that's it. Uh, for me personally, I would rather watch these teams. I would rather watch these, you know, high profile teams competitive within their division and their conference, whatever it is. 
and I've watched them play for something that mattered towards the end. I agree. The postseason has been really bad, and I think it was Kirk Herbstreit who made this point on College Game Day that the the regular season, out of all of the the sports, professionally, amateur, you name it, is probably the best. The postseason, though, is, and again, maybe it's an anecdotal example, I, I think it's the worst by far because there, it is so anticlimactic. You end on championship season, championship week, in the middle of December, and then you have to wait two, three weeks before these teams that actually have a chance at, at national championship hopes suit up again. And it's just this weird disconnect. You lose all the momentum. It, it almost feels like uh, it, it's a different mini season that happens. And so by expanding the playoff, I think two things are going to happen. One, and I tweeted this out, as college football does its best with the media rights deals and with the reallocations to distance themselves from as many fan bases as possible, the expansion of the playoff includes as many fan bases as possible. So you have Washington State, you have, you know, and they're probably never going to make it, but a Rutgers, right, up in the Northeast, where those teams in this current model objectively have no chance of ever making the college football playoff. It's just not going to happen if it's just a four-team league. And I know the naysayers will say, but that's the way it should be. They're not the best team, etc. You never hear those arguments made for March Madness. You never hear those arguments made for the College Baseball World Series. Yep. Inclusivity in college sports is so much fun because we get to root for all these storylines that take place across the country. So that's all I'm going to say about that for right now. Again, we we probably will record more on this at a later date. We, we want to wait and see if more news comes out. I, the only other thing to add is, as it stands right now, it's scheduled to take place in 2026 for the first time, but with another unanimous vote, as I understand it, the Board of Regents could essentially uh, implement this in 2024. Now, ESPN may have to sign off on it, and a, a bunch of details may have to to be put in place, but it could be coming in the in the near distant future. So watch this space for more. Like I said, we will record more on this topic. Uh, we just wanted to get it out there, put it out into the ether, put some sort of statement out there, and then we'll address it as more comes out down the line. But uh, exciting news, uh, at least for the three tech. You know, there's a lot of podcasts to be honest that Trey, as, as I think you put it in our text chain, are pitching fits right now. Um, look, if you're for this, awesome. You know, it's going to be a talking point. If you're against it, please don't rain on everybody's parade. Please do not go around pronouncing the death of college football because that's just not true. It may be the death of what college football looks like to you, but just because you don't agree with this, this movement, it doesn't mean that the entire sport is going away. This expansion with the auto bids that are included actually saves college football. We were heading down a path of just the Big Ten and the SEC mattering. We talked about this over the summer when all the news with USC and UCLA moving to the Big Ten was breaking, but this is what we talked about. This is what we would need to have some semblance of everybody else having a share at that shot, the national title, and we got it. And I used to be anti-auto bid. I was very much against having the auto bids, but now that we're moving towards this conglomeration in the SEC and the Big Ten, I'm so excited that we have that. And every single team at the beginning of the season has a reasonable path to get there. 
Yeah, and with all the other teams that you're talking about, maybe on the outside, just on the fringe, you combine that with some NIL, some transfer portal, and a more you know clear path to make it, I think you're going to see a lot of teams start popping up that you maybe wouldn't have seen otherwise with just four teams being able to make it. So I'm all for it. I'm excited to see which programs take advantage of this and end up you know sort of in the yearly conversation going forward. I know that the playoff, the semifinal games have sucked by and large until now, but the anti-expansion crowd would have us go back to the BCS model where it's just one versus two. And I got news for you guys. That's not happening. We have the toothpaste is out of the tube. There is too much revenue being gained from these playoff games. So in my mind, and I'm not saying we expand to 64. That's not what I'm saying at all. But in my mind, Like Trey, like you said, adding auto bids and including more of the quote-unquote elite teams that can beat an Alabama on any given Saturday, I think that saves the postseason. I think you have more storylines going in. And look, will some of these playoff games be blowouts? Absolutely. It's bound to happen. But like I said, the toothpaste is out of the tube. I think this is Ford is the only way to save the playoff, quote-unquote, I think 12 might, you know, I would have started at eight, but they went with 12 for the auto bid reason. It is what it is. So anyway, with that said, please let us know your thoughts. 3TechPod, Instagram, and Twitter. If you disagree with us, bring it. Totally fair. I would love to have that discussion. Let's just do it in a civil manner. We're we're not going to stand on a soapbox and preach against anti-expansion if you know, we don't have our Twitter DMs filled with... Uh, you know, those of you that are, that are arguing with us. So let's just keep it civil. And I'd love to have that conversation going forward. Guys, we've got a bunch of games to get into as a part of this week one recap. It was beautiful. It was fantastic. I vegged out all weekend. Let's start at the top with Ohio state over Notre Dame. Number two, Ohio state beats number five, Notre Dame 21 to 10. I'd love your initial thoughts. Obviously, Notre Dame covers what was a gigantic number, unlike what uh, Oregon failed to do against Georgia. But Notre Dame keeps it close. And at one point, through into the first half, they were leading this game, 10-7. to They kept C.J. Stroud off balance. They held the running game in check for the first half. Eventually, that ground and pound with Travion Henderson wore the Fighting Irish out. But I was very impressed with how Notre Dame held their own. I thought Tyler Buckner started the game well, 8-8. of uh, I really thought that he was sharp for, for pieces of that game for his first starting experience. And, you know, I thought the Ohio State defense looked a lot better than than what I initially thought. So for me, this this was a lower scoring game than I anticipate, anticipated it being. But I, I kind of come away thinking, yeah, Ohio State's got to get C.J. Stroud more comfortable against bigger opponents. And Notre Dame has a chance now to go on and rebound from this, that they're going to be a really solid team. Yeah, no, when I looked at this one, and to be clear, there's a lot of people today that are talking about how Ohio State's overrated, that offense was terrible, and that's just not true. I think Notre Dame came to play. We talked about this on the preview. You know, Notre Dame was going to come into this game ready to go. There wasn't going to be any sort of, you know, missteps and, you know, dumb execution things. And, you know, Freeman certainly had him ready to play. I am a little concerned about the offense for Ohio State, though. You know, for a team that everyone's been picking as kind of the one of the two best teams, them in Alabama, you know, they're kind of getting a lot of that love to go on and finally finish out. I would have liked to have seen a lot better offensive performance out of Ohio State. Um, now, that's not to take away from what Notre Dame did defensively. They did a lot of things that confused him. I, he was running a lot, rolling out and trying to make something happen by extending a play. Um, and so I'm not necessarily knocking 
you know, Notre Dame as, oh, they're just, you know, that, that was terrible. But I think, you know, with Ohio State's offense, I would have liked to have seen a much better performance, especially considering all the talent they're bringing back. With that being said, you know, massive, massive props to Notre Dame for going in there on the road, hostile environment, and it was rocking. I mean, all night of that, the place was just on fire. So, I mean, hats off to them for making this competitive for most of the game. The final, so- the final score, I don't think, gives you an idea of what really happened in that game unless you actually watched it. I don't know what you guys are talking about. This was the classic ground and pound defensive led Ohio state that we all said we would see. (laughs) No, you guys are exactly right. Um, We did point out on Thursday that this would probably be the one of, if not the best defenses that Ohio state saw all year that came to fruition and that Notre Dame defense came ready to play. Obviously Jackson Smith and Jigba getting hurt was a big part of that. And that offense just, didn't look like they were ready to absorb that kind of loss, which don't know if there's an offense in the country that would be ready to flip on a dime like that, but credit to Ohio state for finding a different way to win. Um, I was not excited about their defense coming into this year and they stepped up. Jim Knowles looked like he had been there for five years already with the packages that he was throwing at Notre Dame. He was confusing Tyler Buckner in his first start. And look, Buckner's going to be a great quarterback. For Notre Dame, I was really impressed with how he hung in there all night, just kept rolling with the punches. There was just a couple of throws that he made. I just left my jaw on the ground, Um, Mm -hmm. especially answering when Ohio State finally did take that 14 to 10 lead. So really excited to see him develop. But this was just Ohio State's night. They found a different way to win. That wasn't their usual way to win of just running away from everybody with their elite wide receiver talent. And yeah, if you're a Buckeyes fan and you're watching that performance Saturday night, I don't think you need to panic about the offense. You played against a really, really good defense. You're not going to see another defense like that maybe the entire season, at least until the Iowa or the Michigan game. And it was week one, right? It and was week, week one. one. Yeah. You, there is, you know, as the national shows were, were very fond of reminding us, which I think is a good point, there is no preseason to college football, right? I mean, you go right from fall camp to week one, and you are playing a live, lethal opposing team, right? Um, and, and so there are always going to be kinks. There are always going to be bugs to work out. The weapons that Ohio State has offensively are going to be good enough to carry them, I think, to a Big Ten championship game, depending on what happens with Michigan. My, my concern is, historically, when you look at what C.J. Stroud has done against better opponents, against quality opponents, he does tend to struggle in some of those situations. Um, so I, I think keep your eyes peeled on, on CJ and his development throughout the rest of the year, but Ohio state's going to be fine. Their defense was better than expected. You're right. Losing Jackson Smith and Jigba was, was not ideal. I don't know. Have we heard definitively what the severity of that injury was? I, yeah. I think he's, he's going to have some sort of scan or whatever, either taking place today, Monday. Yeah, I didn't so hear about it. Monitor Twitter for that news. Um, we haven't heard as of right now, but overall, a good win for Ohio State. They figured it out, and they put away a salty Notre Dame team late in the second half. Yeah, um, on the Notre Dame side, though, I think you have to look at this as a win. I know that you know Marcus Freeman, obviously, he's lost to two OSUs in his coaching tenure there. Um, but if you're looking as an Irish fan and you're looking forward, I think there's a lot to be encouraged by. I think Buckner, uh, frankly, I think he learned a lot last night. I think he saw some things that he's not going to see again this year. And I think that if you're trying to look for some positives, yeah, you went in, you only scored 10 points. You know, it was a struggle. 
right? It was a struggle to score points for these guys. But they did some things right. They executed some stuff well. And there was some explosiveness in the offense. I mean, they started this game with a massive pass play out to the sideline. Guy makes a guy miss and then takes off sprinting. So there's some explosiveness in that offense that we were kind of concerned about going into this. I think they can turn this around. And with a little bit of a lighter schedule going forward, they can probably start to upset some guys and still have a really special season. Yeah, I was going to say they have Marshall next week, then Cal, and then North, a North Carolina defense that we'll talk about in a little bit that is not scaring anybody. Um, North on Carolina their schedule has a two games in. Well, <laughs> it, it's a generous word, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they've got a lot of time to get ready for their next really big challenge, which I think is that BYU game out in Vegas. Let's go down to the swamp, which is a bitter, mostly bitter subject for, for Garrett and I. Florida Gators, 29, the Utah Utes, formerly the seventh-ranked team in the country. That will no longer be a reality. And Trey couldn't be smiling any harder right now. He is. He's pumped. Florida, 29, Utah, 26. Uh, Trey, I'll let you lead off. You've, you've earned it. You were squashing the Utah hype train all season long. I think there were a lot of definitive weaknesses that Utah showed last night that uh, I will certainly be willing to admit I'm curious what you think of Florida, and and I just just break down this your take on this game. I know I've got some thoughts on Florida as well, but uh, you've you've earned the lead off here. Well, first of all, well, 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 how the turntables. That was quite the uh, turn of events last night, gentlemen. Um, yes, it was. Rest in peace to y'all's playoff uh, predictions. Uh, we're just going to pour one out for those. But look, I'm not here to brag. I'm not here to gloat. I, I, I just want to remain humble as I go throughout this recap. But Utah had a lot of red flags coming into this game, and not the least of which was never doing what you guys were predicting them to do, of running through a gauntlet of a schedule that included nine Power 5 games plus a, a game at an SEC opponent in Florida. But yeah, I mean... Color me very impressed with Anthony Richardson in this one. I personally was not expecting Florida to win this game, but they did it on the back of Anthony Richardson just stepping up down the stretch. Utah's offense sputtered at times, but man, just it was fascinating to watch down the stretch as Utah was driving to end the game. They weren't going to be stopped short of a huge defensive play, like a turnover. And that's what they got in the end zone, right? They were just going down the field to at least kick the tying field goal and maybe sneak out of there with a win. What a game that, that I don't want to shatter you guys dreams too hard, but I do have to say, I am the smartest man alive. (laughs) I will say, so you're right. You're right to point out Utah Utah had every opportunity to win that game. As well as Florida played last night and as gritty as they put a show on that field, they probably still should have lost that game. And I point to two decisions by Kyle Whittingham that I did not agree with. In the third quarter, late in the third quarter, Utah goes for two instead of kicking the extra point. And I I remember saying this to my dad, this is too early to chase points. As as slow, as grindy as this game is, it is too early to chase points. Sure enough, they don't get it. And guess what, guys? If they just kick the extra point on that, that touchdown instead of going for two, 
they have a chance to kick a game-winning field goal on the final drive of the game instead of a game-tying field goal. The second decision is obvious. Why on earth are we throwing the football from the four-yard line like they were? It wasn't well, a. They were out of timeouts, right? They well, were. They were, but it wasn't. It wasn't any sort of play with motion. It wasn't a rollout where there are multiple options for Cam Rising. This was a straight drop back, face zone coverage in the end zone, and make a play happen. And you know, Rising, look, he he just he didn't rise to the occasion, quote unquote. Um, he he sat over the middle for too long and then stared down his receiver before waiting. Or he was trying to wait for his tight end to pop open over the seam, and instead he allowed a linebacker who had just dropped the intercept, what would have been the game-sealing interception like two or three plays earlier, to kind of redeem himself with a fantastic diving interception. So to me, Utah lost this game defensively. You look at the stats, Anthony Richardson did not light up the world passing. And, And this is going to be, I think, my soapbox on Florida this year, is Anthony Richardson is not a quarterback, a complete quarterback yet. He's an athlete playing quarterback. Because you look passing 17 of 24 for 168 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. He took care of the football. But where he rushed was where he made the difference. 11 carries, a buck, uh, or what was this, 106 on the ground and three touchdowns. Utah couldn't bring him down. They had no answer for him off the edge and containing him. And as a result, they let the biggest freakishly large athlete on the field run away with this game. Ultimately, that was the uh, that was the decision maker for Florida. Garrett, we got to turn it over to you, my friend. Like, how how have you processed this game? What what were you seeing? What were you feeling as you watched our playoff hopes go down the drain? So when I got home, I took a long shower uh, just to wash the egg off of my face and make sure that I could feel <laughs> uh, feel good about this one. Uh, no, that was brutal, and I'll tell you why. Uh, and it's I was simultaneously unimpressed with Florida and shocked by Utah. I'm not going to lie. I, Florida didn't impress me. They were one-dimensional on offense. You were just talking about it. You know, Anthony Richard, he did not tear it up through the air. He was not, you know, out there all-worlding this thing. All you needed to do was just go sideline to sideline, fit your run gaps, and and shut their offense down. And they did an okay job of it through the game. I'm just so confused as to some of the play calling they made. You guys are absolutely right. I hate shotgun on the goal line. I don't care what your situation is. You're at the, I think they're on the six is when they threw the pick, but you're looking at a situation where you've still got 20 something seconds left. Even if you get tackled, everyone's still right there. You can spike the football. I'd much rather see a rollout that gives you a chance in some space. Maybe somebody doesn't get around and you're, you know, you got a chance to actually run for that touchdown. Um, Just kind of shocked at the play calling there towards the end. I also just like you disagree with the choice to go for two in the third. So um, really confused. I think they got out coached. Um, and I do think at the end of the day, they just, they, they wilted under the pressure. So, um, you know, Utah, it's, it's not a breakup, but we need to take a break. I think we need to find ourselves and I'm just going to figure <laughs> I'm not, I'm not getting off the hype train. One loss teams make the playoff every year but it's going to be a lot harder for them. They're going to have to go out there if they still want to make the playoff. Obviously, got to win your conference, can't lose another one, and you got to look really good doing it. So, uh, yeah, that's 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 how that goes for me. You say they got out coached, and I fully agree with that. And that was the most shocking thing to me because – That was surprising. Billy Napier coaching his first game, all that pressure in the swamp, 
largest opening day crowd they've ever had in Gainesville, top 10 opponent in town. And he rose to the occasion, man. The biggest underrated decision, I think, and even the announcers were questioning it during the game, was letting the clock run down before fourth down. That's a man that knows his team. And in the moment, the announcers were even saying, why are we doing this? You're wasting Uh time. You're not giving yourself a chance. They were not going to win that game if they didn't pick up that fourth down. There was 0.0% chance they were going to win that game if they didn't pick up the fourth down. And he knew that his defense probably wasn't going to stop Utah. And guess what? He was right. He the, yep. His defense turned around and let them drive all the way down to the six-yard line. And what a, what a coaching move. What a brilliant chess move by Billy Napier to know his team, know his situation, and take advantage of that. And that makes me really excited for the future for Florida. I don't yeah. think, again, I wasn't that impressed. They could continue to develop on offense as the year goes on. There's some issues with the defense, but you know I think they'll be able to figure this out as things go on this year. I think we're looking at a decent team by the end of the year. I, I just don't think they're going to get it figured out maybe until middle of October when you know they start to get through the grind of the SEC schedule, probably drop a couple they probably would expect to at the end of the year. So excited for the future for Florida. It seems like they found their guy. I, yeah, and I think Anthony Richardson, I see him being a lot like a KJ Jefferson from last year right. where he's not going to wow you with his arm talent. He's not going to probably ever throw for 350, 400 yards in a game, but he's going to be a problem on the ground. If you don't scheme for that, he is going to make you pay, and they're probably yeah. going to win at least one game. They've already done that beating Utah, but they're probably going to win at least one game in conference that they're not supposed to because of his legs. Mm-hmm. I was I was disappointed at the inability for Utah to adjust with their edge rush pressure, especially so Florida obviously ran ran the daylights out of the football. Two hundred and eighty three yards, four touchdowns on the ground, um, including a, a, a game long scamper from Anthony Richardson, I believe, on a fourth down play as well, where he just got he broke contain, got to the edge. Uh, you had Montreal Johnson Jr. 12 carries, 75 yards and a touchdown. Tra- uh, Trevor Etienne, Travis Etienne's younger brother, five carries for 64 yards. Guys, the physicality and the the ability to tackle an open space, that's gone from this Utah team. At least it was last night. And, uh, you know, we, we weren't going to be surprised by that necessarily because we said they did lose some key pieces. Losing Devin Lloyd, I said you can't ever replace him in year one post a guy like that leaving for the NFL draft. But there were just... Utah did not look as prepared to win that football game defensively as Florida was. I do think eventually the SEC schedule will get them because it does not look like they have the ability to play catch-up if they fall down to a Georgia, if they fall down to a Tennessee. Or Kentucky next week. Or Kentucky next week, that's right. And, And they can't run the football. So, again, keep your eyes peeled on that. But overall, Billy Napier... Round of applause. That yeah, was a great job. master class in coaching your debut with really all the pressure in the world on you. Just one more thing on Utah, guys, and then we can move on to the next next game. I am the smartest man alive! Man, just milking that. Trey is going gonna, is gonna to go back to the well <laughs> a couple times on that. Georgia blows out Oregon guys this wasn't even a game in Atlanta Georgia 49 Oregon three 
The Oregon Ducks may be the most overrated football team in college football. At least they were until yesterday when they got exposed. Um, the Three Tech Pod was was on this the whole time. We all picked Georgia to cover that massive spread. We all wondered if Bo Nix could survive an SEC defense, especially like Georgia. He was 0-3 in his career going into that game. He's 0-4 now. And guys, he looked like the Bo Nix that we expected him to be. Not to tap dance on his grave right now, but he's just not a good quarterback. He is not an elite quarterback who is going to lead you to victory unless he's having, you know, Trey, like you mentioned, one of his just special moments out of nowhere. He's not going to be able to beat a top five team, certainly not on the road in a quote unquote neutral site game that was nothing but a home game just away from Athens for Georgia. Meanwhile, the the dogs, same song, different verse. And honestly, their offense looked even more impressive than what we ever saw last year. Stetson Bennett continues to improve. The weapons that they have out wide looked perfectly fine, and they dominated in the trenches. They did exactly what SEC teams do to non-conference opponents, and they pushed them around on the front. You know, I don't really have a ton else to say about this, um, other than I didn't expect it to be that bad, but... Georgia rolls. The SEC is is in position to continue beating the brains in of these Pac-12 teams, ACC teams, what have you. And we saw that on display yesterday. Yeah, and the big surprising thing for me, we talked about this game as a feels like one that Georgia can wear them down over the course of it, that maybe in the first quarter there's still some signs of life, and then you know maybe they'll just start to kind of be more physical and then wear on them. That is not what happened. They came out there, they punched him in the face, and they punched him in the face again, and they punched him in the face again, and they beat the Oregon Ducks. I mean, they really beat them. Um, that, that, was, that was brutal. It was tough to watch, but, man, this Georgia offense is impressive. This is a really impressive unit. I think this group is going to start setting some stuff on fire this year and just throwing up a whole bunch of big numbers. This is the kind of performance I think Ohio State fans were hoping for, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of just being able to throw up a bunch of numbers and throw the ball all around. Those tight ends, just as impressive as advertised. So, uh, yeah, hats off to Georgia. Excited to see what they do again. Chance they could repeat? I I certainly think so after what happened yesterday. Yeah, it was over from the word go. Um, Georgia scores on the first seven possessions. Stetson Bennett looked like a man out there. Like he, I don't know what he did this off season, but he, he was ready to go. Yeah. He got a fade haircut and I guess that changed everything. Uh, just his numbers were crazy. 25 of 31 for 368 yards and two touchdowns. He was scrambling a little bit. He was buying time with his legs. He just looked like a completely different quarterback out there. And Oregon looks like they just were collecting a check. They looked like an FCS team that Georgia brought in to pay a million dollars to take their L and go home. Mm -hmm. They did not look interested in playing that football game. There's not much else to say. I mean, they're overrated. I think we overestimated the loss, underestimated the loss of some of the guys that they had go to the NFL over the last couple of years. And yeah, man, it just really showed up in Atlanta and that pack 12 is wide open, but I don't think any of the contenders are good enough to compete with the top 10 in college football. And just one more thing. If you're using this as an indictment on the expanded playoff, cease and desist immediately. I saw so, Absolutely. so many people with the just idiotic take of you guys that want the top 12 in the playoff. This is what you're going to get every first round. First of all, 
three's never going to play 11 because top four get by. <laughs> so you don't even know what you're talking about. Second of all, if you think Oregon is going to be top 12 at the end of this year after that performance and after what we're probably going to see from them the next few weeks, I got some motion at front property in Arizona for you. You will buy anything. Yeah. Is there any chance, do you guys think, little question, do y'all think that Bo Nix maybe took a long look down the road towards Auburn, maybe saw the exit sign and was like, oh man, I guess things could have been better. What did I do? I might've made a mistake here. I don't know what, I don't know what that poor kid does. I mean, he's, he just doesn't have it. He just doesn't have it. Trey, I think you're right. I, you know, our, our whole point is that obviously this playoff is not going to be based off a preseason poll. Number two, Oregon's not a top 10, not a top 15 team in the country the way they played yesterday. So, you know, if they want to improve and go go back to the workshop and figure out, hey, all right, here's how we're going to run an offense. Here's how we're not going to just allow Georgia receivers to run wide open over the middle, down the, the, the sidelines, et cetera, then great. We can revisit that later in the season. And that's the whole point of this is teams are never their final product in week one that they are come championship week at the end of the season. Um, but right now I tell you what, that Oregon ducks team, I, I feel bad for Dan Lanning. That was as tough an opening game to his head coaching career as he could have asked for. And he was set up for failure, right? I mean, the Chick-fil-A kickoff being 30 seconds away from Athens, uh, speaking, <laughs> you know, exaggerating that of course, but that wasn't that wasn't a fair neutral site contest. There was no possible way that Oregon was set up for success there, and and it showed. Yeah, and by the logic of some of those pundits in the playoff takes that they have coming out of this game, Ohio State and Alabama should have just played in Dublin last weekend, and we can cancel the rest of the season, right? Exactly. Because preseason yep. rankings are, yeah, preseason rankings dictate all the stuff apparently. So. Arkansas 31, Cincinnati 24. This was kind of an ugly game, too, and we certainly don't have to spend a lot of time on this. I definitely want to move on to some of the other big games around the country. But initial thoughts from you guys here. Arkansas, not very impressive offensively. Cincinnati, oh boy, culture is not going to carry you on a national scale this season. Yeah, the biggest concern for me watching Arkansas was that O-line play. They gave up a lot of pressure to KJ Jefferson. He was running for his life a lot of times. They did get a good ground game established. A lot of that was KJ Jefferson extending plays with his legs. But, you know, I was also impressed with Cincinnati. I thought Ben Bryant made some good throws. He stood in there and took a lot of pressure. And, you know, he was a little inaccurate at times. I think if he was a percentage point or two more accurate, Cincinnati probably wins that game. But, yeah, Arkansas really didn't impress me with that showing against a Cincinnati team that is replacing a lot of talent from last year. Pretty much every all of their production from that playoff team a year ago is mm-hmm. gone. And look, it's week one. Arkansas definitely still has time to get ready for that SEC slate, but there's some teams looking for revenge against the Hogs this year, and they've got to step it up, especially on that offensive line if they're going to repeat last year. Yeah, almost took the words out of my mouth. A lot of teams in the SEC are going to be looking to come after Arkansas after what they did that last year, and they're not going to be the the little guy on the schedule anymore. They're going to be, oh, let's make sure we circle that one. Um, especially after what just happened, 
I'm going to need to see a much better effort out of Arkansas. They were one-dimensional on offense. They didn't pass particularly well. They, they had their moments, but they, they weren't particularly good passing the football. Um, and and, I and they think struggled to set so up much. the run, too. Yeah, no, they did. That offensive line is going to have to improve against some much better defensive lines and some much better defensive front sevens uh, in the SEC. But also, I mean, if we're just being honest, are we underestimating, and I think a lot of people have been, the absence of Traylon Burks. I mean, he was almost their entire offense last year in the past game and him not being there, I think kind of showed, I think it showed that you can't just sling the ball around the yard because you don't have that one guy who's going to get open against almost everybody. So a little bit of concern for Arkansas, certainly not saying the sky is falling, not saying it's over, but definitely some reasons to be concerned and to, to want to see some improvement if you're a Hogs fan. Yeah, the, the Hogs only passed for 223 yards through the air now. K.J. Jefferson did throw three touchdowns, and he did not turn the football over. So a solid game from K.J. But, Garrett, to your point, trying to replace Traylon Burks, a lot of people said, hey, Jaden Hazelwood, he's the guy. He's going to be the, the man who our offense runs through. Three catches for 42 yards and a score. Now, that's certainly not a bad stat line, but if you're replacing what Traylon Burks did for you last year, yeah. that falls shy of the goal. So, uh, you know, I, I do think Arkansas was maybe a little lackluster yesterday. Again, week one, it's early, but what I saw doesn't lead me to believe that that team is what the media is trumpeting as the second best team in the West. They did not dominate on either side of the ball in the trenches. And, you know, Cincinnati pushed them. Ben Bryant threw for 325 against yeah. them yesterday. Yep. Now, a lot of that came late. He struggled early on as he had to find his footing, but. Arkansas wore teams down last year. I don't know that they wore Cincinnati down yesterday. It was way closer than I think a lot of Hogs fans expected it to be uh, late in that game. And, you know, you, you do escape with a seven-point victory. So uh, just patting myself on the back lock of the week, checking that box. <laughs> well, and especially <laughs> considering the fact they played this game at home, and I think a lot of people are expecting a crazy crowd and then a big performance. It didn't seem like that really phased Cincinnati, and it didn't seem like they were getting pushed around too much. So that's not to necessarily call out the fans or whatever else, but you know, for what we thought the home field advantage was going to be, it didn't seem like it was there for this team, and that makes me question if they're ready to go. Guys, let's go over to the ACC. Number of big games took place. Certainly, I think, the three most entertaining games perhaps out of the entire weekend all lived in the ACC. We had the backyard brawl on Thursday night, Pitt winning 38-31. NC State, who as Trey alluded to, one of my playoff picks that almost went down, survives Ooh. East Carolina 21-20. And then UNC and App State ran a track meet in the fourth quarter. UNC gets out of Boone 63-61. Uh, Trey, I'll let you pick here first. Where do you want to go out of uh, those three games that I just mentioned? Let's start with the backyard brawl because, first of all, just a fantastic atmosphere in Pittsburgh Thursday night. Those fans really came out. That's what college football is all about. Just a fun rivalry game. I'm glad that we got that game back after such a long hiatus. But, man, the actual game was just really surprising for me on a couple of levels. First of all, West Virginia really impressed me. We've been down on the Mountaineers this year. Their offense came to play. You know, maybe it was a step up from what we'll see from the rest of the year because it was a rivalry game. But I was really impressed with West Virginia, both offensively and defensively. That pass rush was getting after Pitt all night. Uh, JT Daniels 
did not have, or sorry, Keaton Slovis. I keep getting my USC transfers mixed <laughs> up, but Keaton Slovis uh, really didn't have a lot of time to throw a lot of times, but goodness gracious, guys, this pit offense, could it be more boring? It w- they, no. they scored 38. Seven of that was on a pick six at the very end of the game that seals the game, but every single drive it was run straight into the line run straight into the line play action maybe we complete it and we'll do the same thing over again it was snooze fest on offense for pittsburgh a team that had such an exciting one last year with kenny pickett and jordan addison yeah i felt like you really noticed the departure of mark whipple for for all of the snide comments that he's gotten in in uh in the media from current members of that coaching staff i agree it was it was very predictable it was very it was very reminiscent of, hey, this is week one. We don't have all of our sets in play yet. We don't necessarily trust Keaton with all of these these route trees or maybe the wide receivers with the route trees. It was just very straight out of the box, right? Very vanilla off the shelf. Um, West Virginia, you're right, Im- impressive. Their pass rush was, was getting to Keaton, keeping him off balance. Now that secondary, oh boy. Uh, that, that I will remain firm on. I think we hit that on that nail on the head. West Virginia's secondary is going to be a liability this year, but that pass rush potentially better than we advertised it to be. I also loved Matt Barry. I think it was on the play-by-play who just, every time he would refer to somebody, a player, a coach, just whoever it was, and it would be so-and-so in their first backyard brawl. It's like, yeah, man, we, we know. Yeah. It's been gone for 11 years. They only get four years of eligibility. It's, it's everybody's first backyard brawl. <laughs> NC State 21, ECU 20. I tell you what, Devin Leary and the Wolfpack, they looked a little sluggish. ECU, Greenville showed up. It was the largest crowd um, for an ECU Pirates home game in their program history. They always play North Carolina tough. In fact, uh, North Carolina State, I should say, going into that game, ECU had a 3-1 series advantage over the Wolfpack. They had only lost one other time to NC State. Devin Lear and the offense eventually put up uh, you know, that, that final touchdown that gave them the lead. But guys, ECU had multiple chances late in this game salted away. You miss an extra point on what should have been the game-tying touchdown with just a few minutes left in the fourth quarter and then the poor ECU field goal kicker he goes out there and pushes I mean not even a competitive kick pushes what should have been the game winning kick from 40 something yards maybe 41 yards away wide right Um, now this loss is certainly not on him but for the mistakes that he made late it certainly feels like college kickers man you just can't ever trust them yeah it was tough I mean my thing on this one is ECU lost this game. NC State didn't win. ECU blew it twice. That sucks. You know, uh, not trying to put that on the kid. You know, big time situation. Apparently it was kind of starting to rain there. You know, I I get it. I also kind of want to put this one on the announcers because they kept mentioning this 52 yarder that he made last year towards the end of that game. And I mean, if you're trying to jinx a kid, that's what you're going to do is just talk about how this guy's automatic from 50 plus. So you know, I don't want to put it on him. I'm sure he's going to feel bad about that for a little while. But hats off to ECU and their fans for showing up to this one. 
Um, I, I remember, I think the goal line stand that they made where they hit yeah. the guy at about the two and they just drove him back like 20 yards. I almost jumped out of my seat screaming on that one. That was just such an awesome effort. Uh, I hope ECU brings that energy for the rest of the year. And if you're NC State, you got to figure out a better way to play ball because that was not impressive in week one. Well, it was 21 to 7 NC State at halftime. And then this is NC State's possessions in the second half punt, fumble, turnover on downs, interception, punt, end of game. So they had it. They could have run away and hid after halftime, but they yep. just come out of half really uninspired. Um, I gave you Devin Leary Heisman odds on our prediction show. I bet you can get even better odds right now. If you want to <laughs> I bet they, that is running at a healthy discount right now. Devin Leary, 17-33, 211 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Trey, you read off that, that drive chart there at the end or in the second half. Back-to-back possessions where ECU stopped – the Wolfpack at the goal line. Jordan Houston fumbles it uh, on that turnover, on the, the fumble lost, and then they're stonewalled again at the goal line. I, it truly was impressive to watch that Pirates defense. They were swarming. It was a pick late in the second half from Devin Leary. He threw it right to that ECU corner. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the Pirates had every opportunity to come back, to tie this, to win it eventually, and they just couldn't take take advantage of it. Uh, Holton the Ailers uh, was was really really solid the the what fifth year lefty for the Pirates and you know Mike Houston he's doing really good things with that program uh, won a national championship at James, at James Madison he knows how to coach winning football I think ECU is certainly a program on the rise they've got to learn how to finish but in in this case I think it's probably a scenario where the rivalry game gets to their guys late and gets the better of them on a, on a couple of crucial plays, right? And, and that's ultimately the difference. So I'm I'm not discouraged and ultimately like fatally concerned about NC State, but I tell you this, they're not going to beat Clemson if they play like they did yesterday. That is for sure. So uh, NC State has to, to rev up that offense if they want to run at the, the conference crown. Uh, the final game that we have noted here, Syracuse 31, Louis, Louisville 7. I'm not... I'm not going to trounce on Garrett's grave too much here, but I do want to remind the listeners when Garrett said, and I quote, thanks for the free points in our ledger pick. I took Syracuse plus four and a half. They, Uh, my math, covered that and then some. Uh, Malik Cunningham looked atrocious in this game. Really, nobody could understand why. The, The Louisville offense was just completely out of sync. In fact, Louisville brought in a backup quarterback at one point. So, um, Trey, uh, Garrett, I'm not going to make you address this right now you already had to talk utah florida we'll 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 let it run but uh good for the orange i that was a game that i did not see them winning um but hey want to know in a weird place to play on a saturday night quick point on this uh i didn't break up with utah i'll break up with louisville they can kick rocks that was terrible that was just a terrible (laughs) effort for louisville i'm sorry if you're cunningham you had to be much better than that and it just didn't look like he knew how to play football so was it louisville your acc champ uh, no, they were not my ACC champ. He okay. had them making it to I the had title them, game. Though. I had them in the title game. All of that, you can throw it out the window. Um, yeah, <laughs> not great. I love that we're talking about all the stuff that I got wrong at the start so I can finish strong in this little uh, recap yeah. episode. So, that's, yeah, that's let's just keep fair. this rolling. We do need to talk, uh, before we move out of the ACC, we do need to talk UNC App State because that oh, yes, was bananas. Um, North Carolina 
really, if you are if you are an ACC team, especially any Power Five team, but an ACC team especially, why are you playing a road game at a G five team? That is a no win situation, and weird stuff happens. It's a conference wide thing where their teams are doing two for ones with regional opponents because they they were talking about that on the North Carolina East Carolina broadcast as well. It's it's that's just the contracts that the ACC has signed. They've signed a dubious you know, 30 year television agreement. And then they have their powers going on the road in week one to very, very good looking G five teams. It's I agree. Not good for business, but that was a very entertaining game. Maybe the most entertaining game of the day. Every time I thought app state was done, they just kept fighting back. And it was so fun to watch a 40 point fourth quarter for the Mountaineers. Now North Carolina's defense we got to we got to figure something out, Matt. Bad. We we got we got to. I don't know if uh, I don't know if old uh, Gene Chizik is the answer at Chapel Hill or not, but it's not. Earlier turns are not very good. Well, and talk about their special teams too. You recover an onside. They've got one timeout. You need some situational awareness, man. Go down. Go down. Yeah. Don't go for glory here. You could still yeah. get back. Like let. How much were those fans just shouting? Go down. Step out of bounds! Like there were, you had to be shouting at your TV if you're a Tar Heel fan. If you didn't see it, App State scores is down by two, misses the two point conversion, tries the onside kick, which North Carolina returns for a touchdown to give App State yet another shot, which they capitalize on, score again, and then again miss the two point conversion. So, just a chaotic sequence that was really, really fun to watch. You gotta feel so bad for for Chase Bryce too. He had his wide receiver wide open nobody from the Tar Heels even thought about covering the flat on that first two-point conversion Bryce just airmails him he throws it right over his head second play call as well I didn't hate it uh Bryce rolling to his right he decides to step up and try and get it on the ground and he came I mean nearly about three feet away from tying that football game up Trey to your point I turned it off after they didn't after UNC housed the onside kick because, yeah, even though there was time left on the clock, I thought no way that App State drives the field and scores. And then, lo and behold, they did. And I had to watch that as as a part of the highlight. So They did it in about three plays. It was pretty pretty fantastic. Just an unreal <laughs> game. App State now goes to College Station to play Texas A&M, a game that we will all be in attendance of as of today. I'm really excited for that. Uh, yeah, App State, I think they could be dangerous. UNC, holy cow, figure out your defense, fellas. Drake May uh, looks really, really good, though. He does. Almost he does. Uh, 650 yards and nine touchdowns with no oh. picks through two yeah. games. And I did tweet uh, one of his touchdowns. I did tweet that video with the caption, fire up the Drake May Heisman campaign, because I think there is a very real chance that if this continues, he, he's got a strong case of ending up in New York. Uh, elsewhere in the ACC, very quickly, Brent Pry, that start gets off to just as brutal uh, beginning to his tenure as you can, losing to Old Dominion 21-20. to That Virginia Tech team has zero offense. Team that does have some offense, though, Duke, the Blue Devils, Garrett. Let's you, talk about something darling, I got right. 30 to nothing over to maybe nothing. one of the worst teams in the FBS and Temple, granted. Uh, but in a battle of new head coaches, Mike Elko takes it to Stan Drayton, and Duke showed some ability to score the football. That was not... Un- unpleasant to watch 
I said it that I thought that this was an easy three and a half to hit over on for their win total this year. And I said why, because I thought Mike Elko was going to have that defense ready to play. They're going to out-scheme some guys and shut some people down. I don't think that Duke's going to blow the the doors off this thing. They're going to be fine, right? But I think three and a half is easy at this point. So that this is one that I feel good about from the preseason. Sure. Still got to find three more, but... That's We're right. 25% of worry. the way there. 25% of the way there. I am searching to find those other three on that schedule, but we'll see. Uh, all right, let's move out of the ACC, and now we'll start jumping around the other conferences. The Big Ten up next. Penn State holds on on Thursday night to beat Purdue 35-31. Guys, I mean, the story out of this is is the play calling from Jeff Brom, um, not running the football. Two drives. They had two drives with the lead to close out the Nittany Lions. The play calling discrepancy, 11 passes, one rush. It is worth noting that I think Purdue had 65 total rushing yards on the night, so it's not like they were able to get a push up front, but still to just be slinging it from the shotgun with several incompletions on both of those drives, kind of concerning play calling. It felt like a lack of situational awareness there, and and Purdue lost a game that I really felt like they should have won, a weird night in West Lafayette. Now, this is another one I got right. Mitch, were you the one who said that you weren't sure if James Franklin was the better coach in this situation? And then yes. coaching ended up letting Purdue down. So, again, yeah. I told y'all at the time I didn't have any idea why I was picking Penn State. I just kind of had a feeling they'd end up winning this game. I was right about that one, too. So let's get this uh, let's get this rolling a little bit for me. <laughs> I wasn't totally they, wrong in the offseason. You're right. They, they, did cover, they covered by half a point, so, so you got that. Covers um, never a doubt never a doubt from Gary covers no, are covers. I mean, it was it was just a comedy of errors for Purdue it really wasn't Penn State winning this game it was Purdue just handing it to him prime example right at the end of the second half Purdue is driving to try to go up at halftime after a lackluster first half um I would say they fumble a jet sweep after they'd converted a first down on uh converted for a first down on fourth down and immediately the next play they just let a tight end just run rampant through their secondary with multiple broken tackles to give Penn State a touchdown as they were trying to drive to take the lead so just a comedy of errors on top of the just allergy to bleeding clock in the last five minutes of the game just let Penn State get out of there with a win and Sean Clifford got some redemption on that last drive. He did not look good. It was classic Sean Clifford until that last drive. When he needed to turn it on, he turned it on. Indiana beats Illinois 23-20. That game broke my betting heart as well. I had taken Illinois plus the two and a half. Another another final drive. Connor Bazelak leads the Hoosiers down. A last-second win for Indiana at home. Rutgers goes to Chestnut Hill and takes down Phil Dracovic and Boston College. That one surprised me. Everybody else in the Big Ten won comfortably except for Iowa. And guys, we don't have a lot of time to spend here, but 7-3, to final score over South Dakota State, the vaunted Jackrabbits. Iowa did not score a touchdown. Nobody scored a touchdown in this game. We all talked about this in our Twitter space over the weekend. I, I think we all tried watching some of this game at one point. I didn't have the stomach for it, um, but uh, curious on your very quick thoughts on this game. Spencer Petras strikes again. Spencer Petras strikes again. Ryan Ferentz strikes again. That's true. That's a gruesome twosome if you're a Hawkeye fan. <laughs> I mean, look, I had this game on my second screen for most of the afternoon, 
and I kept I'm forgetting sorry. that it was on because it was almost unwatchable. I'd just be so locked in on my TV, and then I'd look back down, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I was playing football, if that's what you're supposed to call it. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it might be ugly for Iowa this year. Iowa okay. knows they're allowed to complete forward passes, right? I'm not sure. The Ference, the, the duo Ference lives in a different different age and time. There's no doubt about it. Also, um, shout out Rutgers for winning a game where they had to punt on fourth and goal. That's that's just fun. That, go look up that drive chart. That was an interesting interesting turn of events. Rutgers, I believe, committed four penalties in their first five plays. They ran out three different quarterbacks on each of their first three plays of that game, and yes, still, they did. Still found a way to beat Jeff Halfley's crew. Um, sorry, Big Twelve fans, we're gonna skip you guys pretty much for for sake of brevity. TCU does go to Colorado. They pull off uh, pull away late. Oklahoma State looked good in that first half against the Chippewas. Gundy inexplicably pulled every single starter, and then the Chippewas come back and get within 14 points before Oklahoma State salts that game away. Everyone else, just go look at the box scores. Texas Baylor, Texas Tech, they all played overmatched opponents and and easily won those games. Um, I will say shout-out to the Red Raiders, Zach Kitley. That offense looks really good. I'm excited to see what they have um, coming up this season. One of my darlings for this season. Pac-12. Uh, Trey, you were, you hit the nail on the head here with Oregon State. The Beavers looked really good last night against, I think, a Boise State team that might be worse than we thought. Uh, Hank Bachmeyer threw two picks on his first two drives, ended up getting replaced in that game. Boise State did not look like they were ready to play. The Beavers uh, did, though. And shout-out to, to Corvallis. Folks showed up last night. Tell you what, the uniforms, they've got a little bit of a culture going there under Jonathan Smith. They're investing in that program like crazy. They're in the middle of a stadium renovation right now. If you want to buy stock in a college football program, buy stock in the Beavs because it's about to shoot up. All of a sudden, that Pac-12 North is wide open after Oregon's performance today. So, who knows? Arizona wins outright over San Diego State. Jed Fish gets his second win for the program in, I believe it was almost 1,100 days which was a mean stat by the Fox sports crew, but Arizona does go out and beat a San Diego state team that just lost a lot of productivity from last year. Um, They're not going to be the same program this season. Everyone else other than maybe Wazoo, you know, kind of took care of business uh, on on their schedule, Oregon and Utah. We've already talked about their playoff hopes as a conference seriously in jeopardy. Let's move over to the SEC, Mississippi state 49, Memphis 23. I did take the Tigers cover that spread weird situation across the southeast where a massive thunderstorm kind of ripped through the region and we had delays all over the place mississippi state was one of those schools that started at i believe three o'clock they didn't finish until well after 10 o'clock because of the lightning delay um but you know hey listen the the dogs looked pretty good they they beat memphis going away conference as a whole started 14 and 0 through week zero and week one we are of course awaiting the lsu result Tonight, as uh, if you listen to most people, LSU is going to make that a perfect 15-0. I'm on the Knolls tonight, though. I'm, I'm really excited to see if they can potentially pull that upset, it, although it does really have the Oregon-Georgia feel where it's, it's in LSU's backyard. It's not a neutral site game. Let's quit calling these neutral site games because they're not. So I won't be surprised if the Knolls lose, but uh, I'm still, I'm still going to take Florida State here. Group of five games, though, and guys, I'll turn this over to you here. Houston 37, UTSA 35 in triple overtime. 
Garrett, you and I were big on the Cougs going into this game as not only a playoff dark horse, but I think that was your lock of the week. I was also very confident in Houston covering that spread. Trey, again, was the only person on this show that predicted that correctly. The Roadrunners uh, nearly came out on top. Clayton Toon with a, a game-winning uh, play call there in, in triple overtime. But the Roadrunners look good, Trey. Such a fun game to watch. This was the most fun I had watching a game this week because it was just back and forth all game long, just trading blows. Clayton Toon, not the best start to the game, but boy, did he finish well. He just took that game over. Frank Harris is a great quarterback still for UTSA, and he's going to lead that team to a lot of wins in Conference USA. Yeah, and they're going to have to start faster if you're Houston. You have to start faster coming out the gates on these. Um, They're not out of it in terms of being a G5 to possibly make the playoff, but need to get a little bit quicker on the offense and score some points earlier if you are the Houston Cougars. Gary, did you watch any of this Coastal Army game? That was a game that we very briefly talked about, just the chaos. Uh, Trey is, is doing the happy dance. He clearly did. I didn't really get to watch any of this game, though. I watched it. Uh, I didn't watch all of it, but I, I was checking in pretty frequently. They were in my lock of the week, and it was a nice back-and-forth affair. Army had a 72-yard touchdown pass, I think, at one point in this game, and just kind of came out throwing a little bit, which was fun to see. but. In the end, Grayson McCall leads a put the ice the game drive for a touchdown with about a minute to go to give the Shanties the win and the cover. Yeah, I respect my own time, so I don't tend to watch Army football. Sorry, guys. <laughs> he now, You're missing he now. out. In this house, we respect the service academies. Uh, we respect Navy. the service academies. We just refuse to turn them on the TV sometimes. I, I think we don't watch Navy this year because if you watch say. Navy. <laughs> Yeah, they lost. They lost to Delaware. Um, we do respect the service academies. Maybe not Ken Niamonololo's football program at this time. You gotta feel like this is his last year. Delaware's uh, coach dropped uh, dropped an f bomb in the post game interview. Oh, so that was fun. Well, did not know about that. That's that's why you come to this recap show. You get little nuggets about that. Um, BYU fifty, South Florida twenty one. A lot of people were on the Bulls this week. Not even for just covering the spread, but there were some people calling for an outright upset. Trey, as you texted us, um, you were on the correct team from the state of Utah this week. BYU rolls in South Florida. They, they look good on offense. There's no doubt. Yeah. My state of Utah team went on the road in Florida and won by 29. So I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> Liberty and Southern miss in a four overtime shootout. I saw Liberty's social media team, which listen, Say what you will about anything related to that school and all the PR snafus that they have, but their social media team brings some heat when it comes to winning postgame. Southern Miss had a 91% win expectancy, I believe, and then obviously lose to the Flames. And so their social media team uh, quoted the sponge or did the SpongeBob tweet where you're looking at the piece of paper and then throwing it into the fire for warmth. Brilliant play. From Liberty Athletics, there uh, again, not another game that I that I put on the main screen at any time, but it was it was kind of fun Sunbelt action, Sunbelt Funbelt guys. Yeah, it's not much else to say about that one, but good for Liberty, good for their uh, social media team, and maybe the rest of their employees can learn a thing or two from the <laughs> social media team. <laughs> 
Finally, SMU 48, UNT 10. I almost took the mean green after last week's win to cover this. It was an 11-point spread at kick, and SMU shoved that spread uh, out the door. Uh, SMU's offense is going to be so much fun to watch. Mordecai, Tanner Mordecai throwing the ball. They've got Rasheed Rice out wide, who really looks like he's going to be the next pony great in the receiving core to, to hopefully go pro. UNT, as good as they looked against UTEP, they were woefully outmatched. That defense just did not stand up. And, you know, guys, at one point we were talking about going to this game, just making the short 45-minute trek up to Apogee and Denton. I'm very glad we didn't waste our time with this because the ponies rolled. I was on UNT for this one, and then I saw that video they released where the GT was just tearing it up down there in downtown Dallas, and I knew immediately from that moment uh, SMU was going to roll this game. I think SMU is going to be real good this year. Proud SMU season ticket holders over here. We are pumped to see some pony action this year. Yeah, same pony, different express is or new express, I guess, is their their hashtag. That's another social media team that's been killing it lately. All right, guys. Well, let's wrap it on this. Obviously, we got to a, a lot of games. If you didn't hear your team mentioned this week, like I, I said, you know, very quickly with the Big Twelve, SEC, you probably played an FCS team, a team that just didn't didn't really you know, muster anything. I know Texas lowered the lumber against ULM that just looked lost on defense. Texas A&M takes out Sam Houston 31-0. Those kind of games. As we get into the season, obviously we're going to be peppering in more more complete coverage uh, throughout all the conferences. But this week it was the ACC and the Big Ten that kind of dominated headlines because not only did they have conference games going, but they just played in some barn burners like that UNC App State game. So really excited Uh, for week two coming up guys let's finish here with our stats of the week the most intriguing statistic from the world of college football that we saw this week Garrett I'll let you start off here yeah so for me I'm going up to uh, Kansas Kansas scored 56 points for only the second time since 2008 both times under Lance Leipold and this was the first time in regulation what was the other time we all know the other time yeah, we do. We know what the other time was. Look it up. <laughs> Un- an unfortunate stat there uh, for our folks in Austin. Uh, my stat of the week, before the second safety in the Iowa-South Dakota State game, Iowa was on the verge of playing in the only other 5-3 finish in college football history. The previous one also involved the Hawkeyes. Back in 1989, it was a 5-3 loss to the Arizona Wildcats. Trey? So I'm going to be a little bit of a homer with mine. Uh, talk about a little Texas A&M passing attack. A&M had two 60-plus yard pass plays in the same game for the first time since 2012. The opponent in that game was also Sam Houston State. And a little bonus one, the Aggies matched their 40-plus yard play output from 2021 in their first game yesterday. So that's just to kind of quell the uh, Aggie fans out there that I know are a little pessimistic about the outlook of the offense after yesterday's 31 point output they had some big explosive plays and that's something that i know that fan base has been wanting for a long time it's week one folks i mean goodness stay just if you're gonna complain keep it off twitter um for all weeks but especially week one because guess what as we keep saying the final product the final version of your team it's not here yet You've got to go throughout the entire season. You've got to hit these milestones that you just haven't hit in week one. 
Again, college football has no preseason. You get no warm-up other than hitting your own teammates in different colored jerseys throughout fall camp. So everyone just relax. Just take a chill pill, whether you're a Texas A&M Aggie, whether you are a Washington State Cougar who barely beat Idaho. Everyone calm down. Just relax. Unless you're UNC, then find a defense because that's been concerning. Yeah, at least wait until you get to conference play to start complaining. You know, you guys are talking about a lot of people are upset with their teams after week one. Don't judge it off week one, but especially don't judge it after you win week one, but you just didn't like the way that they looked. Trust your coaches, trust the coaching staffs, let them do what they want to do. By the time conference play rolls around, if you start losing a bunch of games, start complaining. That's fine. But just wait a couple of weeks. There's a lot of fans that need the Creed Bratton treatment where maybe they shouldn't have a Twitter account. Someone should just open a Word document Word on doc. their computer yes. and let them just vent their dark thoughts. Absolutely. www.creedthoughts.blogspace forward slash Creed Thoughts. Um, that, that's, that's great advice for a lot of people. <laughs> well, as you're probably listening to this, the LSU-Florida State game has already happened, so expect that recap on our midweek episode uh, of course, Clemson and Georgia Tech also probably playing the night that you're listening to this episode. So we will mention that as well with all of our other week two previews coming up. Week two is a very, very competitive week in college football as well. We're really excited about it. As, as we mentioned, we'll be going down to College Station for Texas A&M Appalachian State. So our preview or our, uh, our post game episode or our recap will probably mix in some of that game day experience as well. But we're really excited. What a fantastic week one. I think it's just a, an amazing appetizer to what the rest of another great college football season will be. Storylines write themselves, and we can't wait to talk about them as we go throughout the rest of this season. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Until next time, so long, everybody. Yeah.